You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Psalm 119 once again. Psalm chapter 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. We started looking at the first part of it last week. We're going to look into that chapter once again today. Psalm chapter 119. The last couple of weeks we've been looking in the book of Psalms, but specifically with the theme of um, the importance of God's Word in our life. Two weeks ago we looked at the importance of knowing God's Word so that we can teach others about it, particularly the coming generation, that we would know God's Word intimately so that we can pass it on to others so that the future generations will continue to hope in Him. Last week, we looked at the concept of storing up God's Word in our heart, uh, the need that we have to, uh, to know who God is and what He does and to commit that to memory so that we can have our lives impacted on a daily basis. We said that the Bible gives us information about God. It tells us who He is, what He's done, and then also what He requires of us. Um, but it doesn't just simply tell us about Him. It tells us things that He's done for His people which is the connecting point that we need in, in moving just from hearing about God to seeing God in action, right? So I, I equated it to the difference between uh, directions to put together Ikea furniture, where there's just some pictures there, very little instruction. Most of us have gotten away from looking at instruction manuals. Most of us now go to the YouTube videos where we can see somebody doing it, right? We want to see truth in action. We don't want to just read about it in a manual We want to see somebody doing it so that we know that it works. The Bible gives us both. The Bible gives us doctrine about who God is, but then the Bible also reveals that doctrine in practice and shows us how God works for his people. So it doesn't just tell us God is good. It shows us how he's good with his people. It doesn't just tell us that God um, is forgiving and loving. It shows us how he forgives and how he loves, right? So the Bible gives us... um, an understanding of God in action so that we can further trust him in our life. The Bible also gives us authorization towards what is right and what is wrong. It helps us to understand uh, the moral nature of God's laws, right? We said that one of the major reasons for apostasy, one of the major reasons that people leave the faith is because their lifestyle is no longer permitted by the Bible. The lifestyle that they are wanting to choose to live now, they are realizing is not permitted by the Bible, and so they will leave the faith in order to live that lifestyle. And so I challenged you last week, do we follow a God who determines our morality, or do we choose a morality that then shapes our God, right? Are we letting God drive our understanding of morality, or are we allowing what we choose to be right to then shape the type of God that we'll worship? And then we talked about the memorization piece, that we need to know God's word in such a way that it helps us fight sin because the Bible is our roadmap to purity. If we want to live a pure life, the Bible remains the key fighting tool for us. Things are worse today than they ever have been. Temptation is greater than it ever has been. But God has done us the blessing of letting the word be more accessible to us than it ever has been. Right? So we can talk about how hard it is for our kids today and the temptations that they face. And we're absolutely right in saying that. But we can also start to look to the other side and say, the word is available to our kids in ways that it was not available to us even when we were growing up. Right? 
the access to resources, to study tools, the ability to know God's word today is greater than it ever has been in our history. So yes, temptation is greater, but the tool for fighting temptation has become more accessible as well. And so I challenged you last week, are we taking the time to be holy? Our level of holiness tied to our time spent in God's word, are we taking the time to be holy? Let's look at Psalm 119. I'm going to read for you where we were last week, and then we're going to pick up with verse 17, which is where we'll be today. So starting in verse 1, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Our summary sentence for today, the Lord and his wondrous word provide us with life-giving comfort and life-shaping counsel as we navigate this world that brings the difficulty of temptation and the distress of opposition. The Lord, through his wondrous word, provides us with life-giving comfort and life-shaping counsel as we navigate this world that brings the difficulty of temptation and the distress of opposition. For our kids, the Bible helps me know what to do when I'm tempted to sin or when I'm around people who don't love God. What we're seeing here in verses 17 through 24 is the psalmist's continued desire to be obedient, his continued desire to keep going back to the word for guidance and direction for how to live life, how to live it in obedience, how to live his life faithfully. But as we come to the end of this section, we see there's this opposition that's kind of springing forth. Individuals who are against God's word, who are bringing persecution or opposition against the psalmist, plotting against him. And how will he react to that? Well, we're going to see that he runs to the word for counsel. In the, in the midst of opposition, he runs to the word for counsel as to how to handle that opposition. I explained to you last week that this, this Psalm 119 is a, um, uh, a, a long, poetic-type uh, piece that, that is an acrostic to the, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So each section 
is contribute is, or is dedicated to the, the letter of the alphabet, and each line begins with that letter. It was a tool for memorization. It was to help the people know this. So last week we looked at the first two sections, and those first two sections were the first two letters of the alphabet. Today we come to section three, and if we were Hebrew, reading in the Hebrew language, we would see every, uh, every line starting with the same letter. It would help us memorize the truths of this passage. Obviously, the psalmist is helping us to see the importance of God's word in our life. But I want to pause here for a minute and just ask you this question. As you were growing up, those that are currently uh, in that kid youth age, you're growing up right now. Growing up, what motivations were intrinsically present when you heard the phrase, read your Bible? What were some of the motivations that were built into your mind that kind of spring forth when you hear that phrase, read your Bible. What was meant to motivate you in that direction? What type of ideas or thoughts come to mind when you hear that phrase, read your Bible? I want us to think about that as we step into the text today, because I think right here in verse 17, for a lot of us, we need to have our minds reprogrammed when it comes to understanding the why behind reading your Bible. All right, number one here. Live to obey instead of obey to live. Live to obey instead of obey to live. I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that. Live to obey instead of obey to live. The first two verses in our section say, Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Number one here, my hope is that, uh, sorry, my hope is that God would sustain me so I might obey him. We got an extra wood in there. My hope is that God would sustain me so I might obey him. The idea here in, the, in this first verse specifically, verse 17, is that our obedience flows from a relationship that we are gifted by him. Our obedience flows from a relationship we are gifted by him. By God's grace, he deals bountifully with me from his character, not my performance. Notice that the psalmist is saying, deal bountifully with your servant, Lord, that I may live, then I may keep your word, right? He doesn't tell him to, he doesn't tell God to deal bountifully with me because I've kept your word. No, he's, he's saying, deal bountifully with me. Give me life so that I can obey your word. Listen to this. Our obedience is not a ploy by us to get God to like us or to love us more. Let me say that again. Our obedience is not a ploy by us to get God to like us or love us more. One of the, uh, the things that I deal with as a principal is, is helping certain students uh, correct their thinking about whether a teacher likes them or not, okay? I don't get this a whole lot, but there are times when a student will come to me or a parent will come to me and say, hey, this teacher doesn't like my child, right? Out to get them, targets them, uh, has no love or care for them, uh, just does not have any regard for them, right? I would say 99% of the time, when I've sat down and investigated this situation, had conversations with the child, had conversations with the teacher, 
what is typically true is that, that, that those feelings are birthed out of a student who uh, doesn't put forth their best effort in the classroom, doesn't turn in their work, um, doesn't really care about the class or the responsibilities they have in the class, and therefore bear the repercussions of the teacher constantly having to redirect them, get them back on task, asking them for assignments that are late or not done properly. And the response from the kid then is, well, this teacher doesn't like me, right? So this week I had a situation where I sat down with a kid who said, this teacher does not like me, right? This teacher does not care. This teacher does not want me to succeed. And I stopped him. I said, hold on. I said, here's what you don't know is that I've yet to have a conversation with your teacher about this. And I can tell you right now, this teacher has come to me personally numerous times this year asking for me to help them to help you. I said, so here's what you're not seeing, the behind the scenes of how much this teacher cares for you because she is coming to me on her own initiative, not because I've gone to her and said, hey, you gotta like this kid more. You gotta love this kid more. No, she's come to me out of a heart for you saying, Mr. Vincent, how do I help this kid? He's not doing what he should be doing. He's failing my class. He's not putting forth effort. He's not turning in assignments. How do I connect with him? So we're having this conversation, right? And so I told the kid, I said, I think we need to sit down with this teacher and and have y'all have a conversation that I can help facilitate. I need you to hear from her how much she does love you and how much she does care for you because it's not enough for me to just tell it. You've got a broken relationship because you feel like she doesn't. I said, a conversation is needed. I said, I can't force you to have that conversation, but I think it's the only way towards restoration. And here's what he told me. He said, Mr. Vincent, I don't want to sit down and have that conversation. He said, I do realize I'm not doing my, my part. Great. We need you to see that. But here's what struck me. He said, I think if I start doing my homework and I start putting forth effort, then my teacher will like me and love me more. And I said, stop right there. I said, buddy, this isn't about you making, because really he said, if my grade will be better, my teacher will like me more. And I said, let's stop right there. I said, you're wrong. I said, because here's the thing. Your teacher already cares about you and your teacher already loves you. The relationship that you're having with your teacher right now is based on your lack of effort. I said, she will not love you more if your grade is better. I said, your, your interaction with that teacher will change though if your effort changes right? It doesn't have to be that she only likes A students, right? It's you've got to start putting forth effort. You've got to start doing your part, and then your interaction with that teacher is going to change because instead of her having to redirect you, she can start pushing you forward to be your best, right? Here's how we interact with God a lot of times, though. We think that if we will obey him, if we will do our part, if we will read our Bibles, if we'll study our Bibles, if we'll have daily devotions, if we'll do that, then God will like me more or God will love me more. A lot of us grew up with that type of mentality. Even if we don't want to admit that, even if we've never said that outwardly, a lot of us feel that inwardly. And a lot of us feel guilty when we're not in the Bible because then we, we translate it to Maybe God's not loving me like I, I want him to or need him to, or he's not loving me as much because I'm not, I'm not in his word. And we need to stop right there, right? God couldn't love us any more than he has already demonstrated by sending his son to die in our place, right? But our interaction with him will change, right? The more we are obedient to him, the more we are in his word, the more we are pursuing him, our interaction will change with him, right? But he does not love us more or like us more. 
right? The psalmist tells us here, he says, uh, deal bountifully with me. Let me live so that I can keep your word. He's not tying his relationship to, to God as though if I obey, then you'll give me life. No, he's saying, give me life so that I can obey. We don't obey him to live. We live by his grace to now obey him. It's the same flow we see in the chapter that we've been studying in 1 John chapter 3. Look what 1 John chapter 3 says. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Look at the, look at the string of thought here from John as he's writing here. He says, we are children of God because God says we are. Right In our discussion, Jesse brought up this fact that, hey, look at what it says here to start off chapter 3. It says that we are the children of God because he says it. Not because we've earned it, not because we've done enough to be called children of God. We're children of God because God calls us children of God. He declares that to be true about us. Well, then what happens? Because we're declared to be children of God, then because we know we are supposed to be like him, we begin to purify ourselves as he is pure with the hope that he's coming back to make us like him. Right? The obedience flows after salvation. It flows after the life has been given to us, not before. We don't live good so that God loves us and calls us his children. No, God calls us his children, and then we respond by living for him. The psalmist says, give me life, deal bountifully with me so that I can keep your word. Because I can't keep your word if you don't do something in me first. Right? I'll never be able to keep your word unless you work in me First, that's the flow of thought in 1 John chapter 3. It's the flow of thought we're seeing here in Psalm 119, 17. We are not a student who needs to make good grades so that God will love us more. No, God already loves us. But he's calling us. He's calling us to a type of life. He's calling us to a type of life in light of the fact that he loves us. The life given to me is meant to be lived in obedience to him. My obedience becomes my expression of love for him. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. All right, so I told you our obedience is not a ploy by us to get God to like us or to love us more. No, our obedience becomes our means of showing more and more how much we love him. Right, so we don't obey, we don't obey so that God will love us more. No, we obey to show more how we love God. It's our expression of love to him. It's our expression of how we love him to others around us as well, right? So I don't, I, don't, I don't read my Bible. I don't seek to be obedient to my Bible in hopes that God will love me in response. No, I go to God's word and I see, wow, he has dealt bountifully with me. He has loved me. How could I not obey him? I love him in response. I need to show that love through my obedience to him. Obedience to the commands of God is our tangible and visible expression that we love him in our hearts. So my hope is that uh, God would sustain me. He would give me life so that I might obey him. Number two, I need God's supernatural help if I'm to see his word properly. All right, so if I'm going to obey him, if I'm going to keep his word, 
Well, I've got to be able to understand it, and I've got to be able to see it for what it is. Verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Our hearts and minds are shaped by influences to desire more and more the things that we treasure. Okay, so typically when I sit down with with a parent and a child at school, and we are talking about poor choices and decision making, very quickly the conversation will turn towards what is influencing that child to do that, particularly the darker the sin, right? We might sit down and have a conversation about a kid talking too much in class. I don't need to delve too deeply into why is your kid talking too much in class? Like, where is this coming from, right? It's coming from a sinful heart, right? We just like to talk in class when we're not supposed to. But there are other things that I deal with at Trinity that you look at and you say, that's not, that's not a natural part of being a sinner unless something is influencing you in that direction, right? And so we'll go a little bit deeper and say, okay, what is having an effect on your child that would lead them not just towards a sinful road, but to be really off in this sinful pursuit, Right? And we'll find that there is something that is pushing that individual deeper into sin, increasing a desire, increasing a passion that's already there, but really driving that, that sinful desire, that sinful passion to really be off base. Right? So our desires are influenced to move in certain directions. And what we need as Christians is we need God to supernaturally open our spiritual eyes to see the beauty behind the obedience that we're called to so that we are, we are influenced to desire his word more. We need God to supernaturally open our spiritual eyes to influence us to want his word more. We need his word to become the main influencer that impacts our hearts and minds. It pushes us to desire more of his word. Right? So if, I, if I'm a child, if I'm, a, if I'm an adult, Sinful tendencies, if I put myself in position where the things that I watch or the type of people that I spend time with, if I allow that to influence me, it is going to push me in a certain direction where my desires will be influenced by those influencers. What we're saying here is that we need our hearts and minds to be shaped by God's word, to be impacted and influenced by his word so that our our spiritual desires are increasing and being pushed towards holiness. And the psalmist says, open my eyes. I want to behold the wondrous things of your law. I think there's three things that we can see just from this one verse. Truth number one, the Bible contains wondrous things, right? It's not old. It's not outdated. It's not useless for today, right? It doesn't, it doesn't just contain things that were for people from times past. It contains wondrous things for us today, timeless things that we need to know and understand. But truth number two is we won't realize those things without supernatural help, right? In and of ourselves, we can't just pick up the Bible, read it, and fall in love with God from it. We won't, right? Our sinful heart will push back against the authority of God's word and say, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to self-sacrifice myself for the good of others, right? I don't want to follow Jesus' example to give of myself, to lay down my life for my friends, which is what we're called to, right? Right? Everything inside of us, our selfish tendencies would say, I don't want to live that way. It takes supernatural help for us to fall in love with God through his word. The psalmist says, you've got to open my eyes. You've got to open my eyes so that I will behold these wondrous things, right? It's not, an, it's not good enough for the pastor to just tell you that there's wondrous things there. You won't see them without supernatural help. Truth number three, we can pray for those things to be seen and expect help to come. 
Right? We can pray for wisdom and be guaranteed that wisdom will come to us. We can pray for our eyes to be opened and know that God will open them for us. We saw this in Ephesians, right? We saw Paul praying for the Ephesians to see these wondrous things in verse 15 of chapter 1 in Ephesians. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. You don't see those things without supernatural help. We don't come to the Bible on our own, certainly not as lost people, but even as Christians, we don't come to the Bible on our own in our flesh, and see the hope to which we've been called. We don't see the riches of his glorious inheritance. We don't see the immeasurable greatness of his power. We push back against it until his, until his supernatural help comes and opens our eyes to it. And then we say, man, it's been there all along. How have I not seen it? Psalmist says, give my eyes sight. Help me to see these things. Now, there's a role we play and there's a role God plays in this. Right? So going back to the concept of Bible study, because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about being in the word, seeing the things of God in his word. Our role is to put our eyes on the wondrous things. Right? My role, I'm not going to see wondrous things if I'm not looking in that direction. Right? So I've got to put my eyes on God's word. But then God's role is to open my eyes to help me see past the surface level of what God's word says, to pull the blinders off my eyes to help me see truly the wondrous things and to be able to see past my own sinful tendencies to grab hold of those wondrous things. But I'm not gonna see those things if I don't put forth the effort to put my eyes on it, right? God's not gonna drag us out of bed. He's not gonna clear our calendars. He's not gonna force us to, to sit down and open his word and say, now let me teach you about me. He's not gonna do it that way, right? When we talk about working out our salvation with fear and trembling, there's a role that we play. We put forth some effort there in our sanctification. We put ourselves in position to assemble with other believers. We need to choose to gather to be with other believers for our hope and encouragement, to, 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 to spur one another on to good works, right? That's, that's on you to carve out time on your calendar to put forth the effort to be gathering with other believers. It's also on you to put forth the effort to put your eyes on the wondrous things. And then God takes over and says, let me show you the wondrous things. Let me pull the blinders off your eyes so you can see these wondrous things. John Piper says, we need God's vision so that the word wins our hearts. Man, there's so much in this world trying to win our hearts. So many other things that would seek to influence our heart and minds. But with supernatural help, God gives us his vision. He helps us to see his wondrous things, and he wins our hearts with his word. We need to live to obey instead of obey to live. We need to see that every day God gives us life. It's another day to be obedient to him. We don't obey to get another day of life. We don't obey to get his love. No, he is bountifully giving to us life. And he's done it for a purpose so that we can respond and say, I love you back. I love you back and let me show you through my obedience. Number two, keep perspective on what's important. Keeping perspective on what is important. Going back to Psalm 119, 
Verse 19, I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Number one, my passion is to be towards consistent and constant obedience to him. My passion is to be towards consistent and constant obedience to him. Man, can we echo the psalmist in verse 20? My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. I put in my notes, am I consumed with longing for his rules at all times? I mean, that's an intense longing. It's a recognition of need by the psalmist. He's saying, at all times, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules. I put in my notes, which question am I prone to ask about his word? Because I think this will this will help this will help help us see, am I prone to long for him like I should? Right? So two questions possibly that you could be asking. Number one, did God really say that? Or number two, what did God say about that? Sounds like the same question, but it's not. Because the first question is the question that the devil was asking in the garden, right? Eve knows what God says. But he entertains in her this idea, can I reinterpret that? Can I, can, I, can I manipulate what God said so that I'm off the hook and I can really do what I want to do, but not feel like I'm in violation of something that he's told me, right? Do we view God's word with that type of question in mind? Did God really say that about this topic? Because what I would really like for him to have said is this, how can I make him have said that? Or are we driven to God's word saying, what does God say about this? Because I want to know and I want to live in accordance to it. Two different questions, even though it looks like it's the same. One is a question of speculation and resistance. Did God really say that? Because if not, I'd really like to do things differently. The other question is, man, I want to know what he said. Not to be off the hook, but to put myself on the hook. Like I want to know so that I can obey. I need God's supernatural help if I'm to survive in a rebellious world. The psalmist talks about being a sojourner here. And he requests that God would not hide his commandments. We're sojourners in the sense that we're in a world that does not care about his commands. And we're going to need supernatural help to keep submitting to his authority. Why? Because if I'm not careful, I'm going to become desirous and sympathetic towards the allowances of the world. And we live in a world in a culture that wants no part of what we're talking about today. We're living in a world that does not want to submit to his authority. We'd prefer there to be no God so that we can live how we want, right? So if that's the major influence in this world to, to push us in a direction of thinking that we can be out from under the authority of God, I mean, I'm going to need to help. I'm going to need a lot of help to not follow that track because that's where my, my natural inclination is going to be to go. Like, I want to be off the hook of being obedient, Right? Psalmist says, man, don't hide God's word from me. Don't hide the commandments from me. I don't want to be desirous and sympathetic towards the things of this world. We should feel a disconnect with the world because of our spiritual condition. We should feel like things are never quite right here. And we need an accurate roadmap to navigate this foreign world. We need directions on how to get to the world to come. Because here's the thing. This world is not our home. We're called to obey the home that we do belong to while we dwell here. As I was, I was thinking about this concept, he says, I'm a sojourner here on this earth. God, give me your commands. 
because the commands I'm going to find here aren't consistent or they're not enough for me to be really obedient to you. I need to know more. I need to know what your commands are because the, the things that are being done here aren't consistent with your commands, right? I was thinking about how when I take uh, students on a field trip to a, to a venue out, outside of our campus, off our campus, there's going to be rules that the venue has for us to operate there, right? But then Mr. Vincent's going to sit down with our students and say, here are the real rules that we're going to follow, and they're greater than the rules that you're going to find at the venue, right? The venue's going to be okay with you wearing whatever you want to wear. But because you go to Trinity, because you reflect Christ in the things that you choose to wear, here's what our dress code's going to be at the Braves game or at Six Flags. Here's how we're going to dress. Here's how we're going to act, right? Six Flags, because we're taking Six Flags on my mind because I'm taking fourth and fifth graders to Six Flags, which might be a crazy decision. We'll see. It's also a way to maybe get votes for principal of the year, right? So I'm always kind of mindful of that too. Like, you know, fourth and fifth graders, let's connect before you get to middle school, right? Fourth and fifth graders going to Six Flags. But Six Flags doesn't care if you walk around by yourself as a fourth or fifth grader. I know because I've done that before. In a different day and age, I was allowed to. Um, My mom's probably listening and thinking, yeah, I should have never done that. Um, we've got rules, right? Because Six Flags isn't our home. It's not where you go to school. You go to school at Trinity. And we are going to transfer our rules to Six Flags while you dwell there because you're a sojourner there. You're not, you don't go to school there, but you are going to operate under our rules there. That's similar to what the psalmist is talking about here. He's saying, hey, I'm on earth and this is not my home. This is not a, a world that is in subjection to the things of God. So therefore, the things that are happening are not consistent with his word. The psalmist says, I, I want to live according to those rules, not these rules, those rules. And he says, God, show those to me, right? Show those rules to me as a sojourner here on this earth. Hide not your commandments from me. It's, it's, it's similar to what he's saying in verse 18. Open your eye, open my eyes to your commandments. Don't hide them from me. It's similar to, to, or it's the opposite kind of 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 what he's saying earlier in chapter 119 because he says, I want to hide your word in my heart. I want to take your word and hide it in me. Don't hide it from me, right? Like, don't keep it from me. Open my eyes. I want to see the wondrous things. I'm going to put forth the effort to put my eyes on the wondrous things. Help me to see your wondrous things so that I can hide them in my heart. Don't veil them from me. Don't keep them from me. We need to keep perspective on what's important. We don't live here. This isn't our home. We are, we are destined for a world to come. As 1 John 3 says, when we realize that, we purify him, ourselves as he is pure, knowing that he's coming. He's coming for us. And number three, lastly, seek guidance from the word at all times for all things. Seek guidance from the word at all times for all things. It says, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt for I've kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Number one, my commitment is to seek counsel from his word, especially when facing opposition. A key sign throughout scripture of true, genuine salvation is when one obeys in spite of being treated unfairly. Let me say that again. A key sign throughout Scripture of true, genuine salvation is when one obeys in spite of being treated unfairly. 
Matthew 5, 10 through 12 talks about blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Right? Scripture teaches us that we will be opposed. We will be persecuted. We're not protected from that. We're not promised anything but that. And a sign of true, genuine salvation is that we stay faithful even when we're being mistreated. The question isn't will we be opposed or not. The question is what will we do when we are? John 15, 18 to 20 talks about us being hated by the world. 2 Timothy 3, 12 talks about persecution coming to those who follow him. Most recently, we've seen in 1 John chapter 3 in our D groups and C groups. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. We should not be surprised when the world hates us. Opposition is going to come, and it seems to be coming towards the psalmist here. There's some type of opposition, and there's even uh, the gathering of princes who are plotting against. What will the psalmist do? How will he react? What guidance does it give to us? I put in my notes, note that the psalmist runs to the word for his guiding counsel when others plot against him versus retaliating against the treatment. Note that the psalmist runs to the word for his guiding counsel when others plot against him versus retaliating against the treatment. I don't know if you've ever had a feeling that people were plotting against you or opposing you or criticizing you. It can be hurtful and painful when you know that the opposition and the criticism is ungrounded, when it has no basis. Maybe the perception is such that leads someone to think that they should be in opposition towards you or criticizing towards you. But if they knew your heart, if they knew the situation, they would see that there's no reason for that. And there can be such a temptation to retaliate against that right? Um, we have at, at Trinity, we have, um, unfortunately, we have this Facebook group in, in social media world that lots of Trinity people are on. It's not sanctioned by the school, but it's a place where people will come and offer their uh, critical suggestions about how things should be done. Um, and I'm not the only one in here who has been a, a source of conversation about things on this site. There was, a, there was a situation this week that sparked conversation that was probably passively in, um, meant to be a criticism towards some of my effort and some of the job that I do, right? There was such a temptation for me to get on there and spout what I was feeling about the situation. But thankfully, the Lord has guided me to the book of Psalms during this time, and, and I was reminded that I don't have to vindicate myself here. Like I've shared with you before, like when I get an angry parent email or I get a sense of opposition through, through something like that on social media, I don't have to vindicate myself, right? Like everything inside of me says to do that, to fire off, to be quick-witted and to, to mouth off about it. But I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that because the psalmist says, man, there are princes that are plotting against me. And what does he do in response to that? He says, your servant's going to go meditate on your statutes. I'm just going to go sit in your word and and see what your word would tell me to do in this situation. Right? Because I shouldn't be surprised that there's opposition. I shouldn't be surprised that there's criticism because that's promised to come. He says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. He runs to the word for his counsel 
versus retaliating against the treatment that he's receiving. Here's the thing. I need God's supernatural help to keep me patient while waiting for him to vindicate me with his goodness. Like, that, that's a supernatural thing that I need. I need God to help me with that. I need him to come in and be that for me, to give me the patience, to give me the vindication. I put in my notes, we can know that God will deal with those who bring opposition in our life. Look how they're described. The insolent, which is another word for arrogant, the cursed ones, the ones who wander from your commandments. It's those who don't care about the word. It's those who don't get their guidance from God's word. It's those who don't operate life based on what God's word would tell them to do. Remember back earlier in verse 10 of 119, he says, with my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. Now he's down here talking about those who do wander from your commandments, right? He says, you're gonna rebuke them. You're gonna deal with them. We can take comfort in that too, knowing that God will deal with those who come against us. We can also know that God will hear our cries when we face opposition. The psalmist cries out and says, take away from me scorn and contempt for I have kept your testimonies. The psalmist wants treatment that he is receiving to be removed because it's inconsistent with his life. He's saying, treat me different than the world deserves because I'm different from the world. I don't wander from your commandments, right? He says, look, I got faith that you're gonna deal with those who are in opposition to me and your word. He says, but they're giving me this type of treatment. He says, God, remove that. It's inconsistent with the choices I'm making. It's inconsistent with my passion for your word. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. All right, so looking back over verses 17 through 24, we're saying that we don't, we don't live obediently to get God to love us. We recognize that God has given us life and we are to live in obedience to him in response to that as a means of showing our love to him. And it's gonna be hard and it's gonna be hard because we can't always see the wondrous things from God without his help. And so we've gotta put forth effort to see those wondrous things and then pray for God to show us those things. And we're gonna desperately need it because we're sojourners here on an earth that rejects him. And his commandments are gonna be hidden by everybody in this world. We need God to reveal those to us because the world is gonna to try to suppress those things. And we need to long for these things. Otherwise, if we're not longing for it, we'll talk ourselves out of getting up early in the morning to be in his word. We'll talk ourselves out of carving time out in our calendar to be with him, right? Don't hide your commandments from me. Give me passion to pursue you. And then when opposition comes our way, we don't fight against those who are not followers of God and are bringing persecution to us. No, we trust that God's gonna deal with them. We run to his word for our counsel. We don't seek to retaliate. Our application for us today, are God's commands bringing joy or burden to my life as I seek to obey him? Are you still in that old mindset of thinking when you hear obey God and do this and read this and study this, are you still in that trap of thinking, I really got to get on that because if I don't, God's going to never love me or God's never going to like me, right? That's the burden perspective is that God's commands are burdensome to us because they're this, this weighty thing that we don't see ourselves free from. Christ came to set us free from that type of mindset, that we have to earn God's favor, earn his love. No, he came and did all that for us. He was perfect for us. It changes the way we see his commands. His commands are life-giving. They are the best way to live life. They are given to us for life, and they are our means of showing that we love him, right? They should give us joy, not burden. Secondly, am I seeing wondrous things from his word that give me a growing passion to know him more? 
Are you in the word and are you experiencing what the psalmist is talking about here? I mean, I go to the God's word and I see wondrous things from his word. He is changing me. He is molding me. He is shaping me. And I've got examples of how I'm faced with things in life and I'm responding with his word versus my natural tendencies, my fleshly tendencies to do the opposite. And then lastly, for my answers to, to be, not me, for my answers to be a more emphatic yes, do I need to increase the time my eyes are on the word? Or do I need to ask for a greater opening by God of my spiritual eyes to see his wondrous things? If I had to say, I would say that all of us fall into the first category, not the second. Right? I've never met somebody who was discouraged in their walk with God, discouraged in their own personal study, because they have spent so much devoted time to it and have gotten nothing from it, right? That's pretty few and far between. Because here's the thing. I think God honors us when we put forth effort to know him in his word. I don't, think he, I don't think he holds his commandments back to where we have to beg him. God, don't hide them from me. Open my eyes. No, I don't think we have to beg him for that. I think we come to him in his word and he is ready to reveal those things to us, to shove those in front of our face. More often than not, the reason we're not seeing wondrous things is because we're not even starting with the Bible near us, right? If we'll put forth the effort to pursue God through his word, I have no doubt he is going to open our eyes to wondrous things. I'm a living testimony of that because much of my life, I was not in God's word. I mean, somehow I found a way to go off to Bible school to be a pastor and wasn't spending much time in God's word. It wasn't until God got a hold of my heart in the midst of studying to be a pastor, right, where I felt the conviction of how in the world am I going to be a teacher of the word when I'm never in the word? Man, and my spiritual life radically changed when I just began to be in the word, saturated with the word so that the word began to change my thought processes on a daily basis. He doesn't hold those things from us. It's typically us holding ourselves back by not being in the word. If we'll be in the word, he will give us wondrous things to behold. Ponder these questions as we leave today. I want to close with Psalm 1611. <clears throat> Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. May we all feel that and see that as we pursue him through his word. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. <clears throat> we thank you for giving us life. We thank you for calling us your children. God, remind us that it's not because of anything that we've done. It's not based on our performance. You've graciously given us your love in response to what Christ has done. You love us because Christ died for us. And God, help us to see that you're calling us to, to an obedient life, not so, that we'll love, not so you'll love us more or like us more. No, you're calling us to certain things because it's best for us. Just like a teacher who requires expectations upon their student, not to place burdens upon them, but because they want to push them towards greatness. God, you are calling us to be obedient to you because you know it is the only way to find life on this planet. It's the only way to not end in death. God, help us to see these wondrous things. Help us to behold these wondrous things in your word. God, give us a desire and a passion to be influenced by your word. Because right now we're tempted to be influenced by everything else. 
God, give us a passion like the psalmist expresses, a, a desire to know you, desire to pursue you. And God, help us to realize that if we will pursue you, you will show us wondrous things. You won't hide your commandments from us. God, as we seek to live rightly, as we seek to live obediently, help us to realize there's going to be opposition that springs up around us. Criticism, persecution. And most commonly, it's going to flow from people who aren't getting their guidance from your word. God, help us to to find comfort and peace in knowing that you still remain in control and that we can find counsel even in the hard times from your word. God, help us to lean in on you for everything. Give us a desire this week to know you better through your word. Help us to fall in love with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.